Welcome to the Manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors Macabre Manor Mead Metal Mayhem. I'm James. I'm Jody. And I'm still drinking the black from Centerpoint Brewing that I was in the other Monty Python episode. I'm still drinking the Juicy Bunny. Damn it. I was taking a drink, and I even knew what you're drinking. <laughs> what the fucking name of that beer? It's just a pale ale. <laughs> I know as soon as I said it, I heard it. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. <laughs> it's only a model. <laughs> Smack round, <laughs> smack round. <laughs> uh, <in> anyway, <laughs> welcome back to episode two of series one <laughs> of our Monty Python series one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> haven't listened to the first one of the series. We highly recommend you go back and do so because it's hilarious <laughs> and it'll provide context for this episode. Ooh, context! I did that on purpose because I actually thought about it before I said it. <laughs> Perfect. That's okay. Uh, the beers I'm drinking while we record all these today are fairly low in ABV, so. I can't, well, uh, mine aren't really high up there, but they're both over six. <laughs> Last time we talked about how they started to get together. Yeah. The first meetings, who shoved them together, the names, fool of a toque. <laughs> so this time we've got things on their writing styles and various things but we thought we'd start with punchlines yeah and i know jody actually has things on this right i thought you did no i just that i'd read up on on their attitudes on punchlines oh <laughs> well well then okay so the, the, oh. well the, they decided not to actually have punchlines exactly that is it um that is exactly what my first little note here under punchline says <laughs> decided to not do punchlines <laughs> the reasons i mean they did do a few if it yeah. was a really good punchline, that's fine. Yeah. But on all their previous shows, uh, the Do Not Adjust Your Set, that 1948 show, shows that we haven't talked about yet because we're going to do this in a weird reverse osmosis way. They saw too many good sketches fall flat from a forced bad punchline. Yeah. And thought they'd just move on when it stopped being funny. They'd write the sketch when it's not funny, move on and keep going. Mm-hmm. And, and that was kind of their attitude with a lot. They did a lot of writing. They didn't use everything they had. They would actually sell their bad stuff to other shows sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what that makes me think of? Our Arnold Schwarzenegger going to bodybuilding competitions and, and telling guys the wrong way to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, how did you get, you know, and, oh, well, you do... <laughs> I'm assuming they, the good, bad stuff was still funny. It just wasn't Python-worthy. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. According to Eric Idle, to move along thusly, <laughs> <laughs> Jones, so Idle says, Terry Jones was the big driving force in abandoning punchlines, and they decided to go with Graham as, we'll talk about this in a little bit, doing the too silly thing or the armored knight with the rubber chicken or Jones, sometimes Gilliam playing Morgan naked. Yeah. <laughs> They decided to use Gilliam's surreal animations because Terry Gilliam was a part of this. They're mm -hmm. going to use it. And then they realized they could actually use his animations to do that free flow whole thing to connect the, the different material. Yeah. And, and Terry Jones actually was inspired by some of Gilliam's animations on pre-Python things. And that's what gave him the idea. And that's where that whole stream of consciousness came, which the Oxford chaps, Palin and Jones, actually were a little bit more into because of their attitude than Chapman and Cleese and, and even Idle a bit, but they, they talked them into it. Nice. And it, it works. 
It works really well. <laughs> it works so well. I love those animations. Oh, yeah. The animations are great. I mean, you got hippos jumping on bunnies and squishing them. You've got people playing trampoline on buxom ladies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go. I, I did write down a couple of my favorite when we get to the episode bits. But okay. uh, they're just, I love <laughs> Anyway, that's, that's actually all I had on that. I was going to move on. <laughs> okay. So, moving on. Taking a drink. Shit. I'm almost out of Juicy Bunny. Damn it. I almost spit again. That's one of the fucking funniest beer names. I know. All right. So, I've got some notes on writing. Woohoo! I mean, these are just sort of all general mishmash of notes. Okay. So, jump in. As, as always, like you were going <laughs> to like you need my permission and like you would care if I said don't. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> uh, Eric's Nudge Nudge was, well, according to Eric, the first get accepted by the group. Not the first one filmed, the first one that they all said was hilarious. Ah, okay. And, and he actually brought it in from a previous show because they actually have, so mostly Palin and Jones had written things, and if other shows hadn't used it, they definitely sold those. And then mm -hmm. when they started writing for Python, they might not have sold as much. That, that was more of a pre-show thing. Um, but because they sold everything, they didn't have a lot. But Idle and Cleese and Chapman had some things left over from previous shows that weren't accepted because, well, nobody's going to laugh. Well, they proved them wrong. Right. And the Nudge Nudge skit is one of those. And they, they, they kind of did partnerships, too. Uh, you probably figured it out from the other episode, but uh, Palin and Jones wrote together a lot. I mean, whether they sat in a room together or they kind of went apart and came together, they were a couple, a duo, Chapman and Cleese. Wrote together a lot. Uh, Gilliam, of course, did the animations. We'll kind of get to that as we go through. But Eric said he had an advantage with working for with just himself because he was a far more interesting partner. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something. Yeah, it, does, it does. In all of these things, when they actually ask the question and the Python's answer, you'll actually get a serious response. Like when they're writing their own things, they're funny. But when they're asked a the question, they'll give a serious response, except for idle. Idols, you can tell there's truth in there, but there's so much bullshit too. <laughs> he, he talks about the sexual tension between his other colleagues and stuff. <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. Anyway, they uh, they would switch partners occasionally, but they they you know not so much. Uh, and, and the fact that nobody liked working with Graham made it kind of John's problem, which he thought was unfair. <laughs> and, and that's because Graham's attitude—he didn't actually write much, and he drank a lot. A lot. <laughs> uh, he, he actually wouldn't do a lot, but he would sit there and suddenly just come out with something. You know, Cleese would sit there and just be writing and writing, and Chapman would be like, how about this word? And it'd make it funny. Or he'd just throw out lemon curry, and, you know, that, that was Chapman's contributions. Uh, Michael Palin would read their sketches that they, he and Jones would do, and John Cleese would read the ones he and Chapman did. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it seemed that way that it was a little bit better because for some reason, Jones thought that if he read it, Cleese wouldn't like it because there was a lot of headbutting between those two. So, <laughs> so because everybody liked Michael, Michael Palin would read their things. I, I do remember, um, of course, I saw this on Wikipedia, but I do remember reading that everybody else in the troupe thought that Palin had the widest range as an actor and a comedian. Yeah, they, they thought Chapman was really good at like as a straight, straight man. Yeah, and then well, and Terry Jones was the best one in drag. 
Although, when you, although when you put Cleese in drag, it was even funnier because he was so not female. <laughs> yep. And I know, I know Cleese, they like Cleese to do the angry things because Cleese yes. actually hated getting angry. So he'd have to be <laughs> mad to do an angry part and it would really come through. <laughs> Oh, so there's, a, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm going to keep moving on and, yep. Yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> uh, there's jockeying during the meetings, and I'm not horses, uh, but they, they would decide when to read the good bits so they get a laugh. Like, if, if it was almost lunchtime, they would read the stuff they didn't think was so good. So when they came back later after lunch, everybody's happy. <laughs> they'd read their better things. <laughs> Gilliam nice. said he'd come in and out of the writing sessions and was a very useful, free-floating radical. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but they but they did stop him from reading his cartoon ideas because going bang boom biff just didn't really do. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Gilliam said, "No producers, no market research. If all six of us laughed, it went in." Nice. Which yeah, they, they didn't have people fucking it up. Oh yeah. Gilliam said the Oxford group was more conceptual, and Gilliam fit in with them, and, and they were the same height. <laughs> 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 and the, the Oxford team were more were more verbal. Yeah, and it is funny because that's true of the size too. The like Cleese is six four, six five. Yeah, he uh, and Chapman. Chapman were was tall. six two, and I didn't even realize it. But when I was looking up uh, spouses, Eric Idle is six one. I think it said. Really? You just can't tell because he's standing next to Chapman and Cleese. <laughs> <laughs> Cleese said their first writing sessions ended after a few days uh, and they'd meet at Terry Jones's house and that would be a typical routine. They'd meet every six or seven working days, although others said it would be two weeks, then they'd all come back together. Gilliam wouldn't necessarily be a part of these, but would be told if they need a longer short linking sketch, like how many minutes they need and where they would end and where they'd begin. And he'd just go away and do those. Okay. Uh, and, and Cleese wasn't particularly sure if that was a timing thing or because Gilliam just liked to come in when he wanted and go away. <laughs> and, and also he would bring in the animations right before they had to do everything in the studio. So there wasn't time to change anything. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I get that. Yep. Palin said, Terry and I always wrote more than anybody else, but a lot of it was fairly inferior quality and we didn't want to read the group too much because there's a point where people are getting restless. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, we have another six sketches. <sighs> well, all right. I'll have some coffee and then read these next six sketches for Mike and Terry. <laughs> I, you know, I understand that. I haven't been to Dragon Con in several years, but I went a few times in the early 2000s. What I noticed the very first year I went, I went to the, the Masquerade, which is the big costume contest they do on the Sunday night, which is the final night of Dragon Con. You cannot let the if if you're doing the costume contest and you want to do a skit for your costume, you cannot let it run too long, because yeah. if it runs too long, the audience gets restless and they get bored and they start booing you. And I, they literally, <laughs> they literally, they had one year the 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 five hundred first are um, yeah the stormtroopers. The stormtroopers. They're the the five hundred first is a costuming group that does Star Wars stormtroopers and clone troopers and I'm guessing first order stormtroopers, imperial, all that kind of stuff. But they actually one year they actually got the guys from the 501st to a sketch ran too long at, at the masquerade at dragon con the 501st guys would walk up and escort the person off the stage <laughs> great it was <laughs> hilarious anyway um all the members started writing i'm just gonna jump back in <laughs> yeah sure go ahead uh, all the members started writing may june 69 uh, idol was excited that 13 to air in september and no executives to mess it up because 
for the first two series, they really had nobody from the BBC interfering at all. The, the only thing they were told is they can do anything within common law, so you can't break the law. <laughs> <laughs> and and like we'll talk about that we mentioned last episode and coming up, there were a few censoring, but not much. Right. And uh, Cleese and Chapman wrote to shock. Palin and Jones wrote to surprise. Eric's specialty was wordplay. But after mm-hmm. a while, they did start to write like each other, sometimes to parody each other because uh, – Chapman and Cleese would write these like thesaurus sketch, sketches they'd call them because they'd actually like the dead parrot sketch. Yeah. And the, and the cheese shop sketch. They would just take all these different terms for death or cheeses and start doing them. And then uh, in a later series, so you'll, you'll actually hear us talk about it, but Jones and Palin wrote one that was a thesaurus sketch and they were making fun, obvious fun of Chapman and Cleese. And then they start, everybody starts laughing and they're like, oh no, that's got to go in. You know, we're making fun of you, right? It's going in. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome though i know <laughs> and uh some so here we go some of them had leftover skits sketches that were mm-hmm. uh weren't used others like eric's nudge nudge we'll talk about this when we get to the episodes it's one of my favorite intros but the sheep nesting in trees sketch was <laughs> was turned down by the frost report that that cleese and chapman wrote Oh, uh, but but Palin that and Jones, was funny. Uh, I love that one, and I've I got did. a quote. I don't want to go into it yet because I've got a couple quotes actually from that one. Okay. Oh, well, go ahead though, if you do. I, I it was it was hilarious, but I didn't actually leave it in my list of skits. Uh, <laughs> no, I, just, uh, yeah, but in there, in there, in there. Oh, and the Palin and Jones didn't have leftovers because they sold whatever they could. You know. Yeah. They said nobody would be rude. They didn't want to be rude, but they would give suggestions like, "It's funny until here." What if we change this first bit here? But they would argue a lot. And my favorite example I found was an argument about whether a chandelier should be made from a goat or a sheep. <laughs> it'd, it'd just be a, an animal where its legs are like it's upside down. So its legs are standing up and the bulbs would go in the feet. And the goat, what do you mean a sheep? Fucking sheep. <laughs> and, and like the stupidest things would make the biggest fucking argument. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're beginning to see why reading the autobiographies really wasn't a hardship. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Uh, so that was it on the writing. My next thing was going to be casting. Did you have? Oh. All right. And we've actually talked about this. Jody actually already brought this up for casting. Graham did weak figures that are responding helplessly to exterior forces like Arthur and Brian and the colonels and, and the, the straight man. Mm-hmm. Um, Jones is great, which, which is which is funny because Chapman was gay. <laughs> so, oh man, when when we get to some of those notes, when we go back in time a little bit, oh, there. You know what? Screw it. Fuck it. One of my favorite things when when he came out of the closet, everybody was yeah. shocked, and Chapman took it oddly because he thought people didn't like it. But Idol and Cleese and the, like the ones who were around were like, uh-huh. we we didn't care. We were just shocked because Chapman was a doctor. He wore like he had the, the patch coats, mm-hmm. pipe. He was a mountain climber. He played rugby. They just talked about him being so butch. <laughs> and and at the time, they kind of thought more of the the poofdas. Yeah. That that these in sketches, where you know the, you were the the mincing gay hello sailor, like that's what they pictured. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> but but it does explain why Chapman's very comfortable in a dress. <laughs> But yeah, yeah anyway. 
I just thought I'd make that joke on the you know play on words there. <laughs> Did I miss that? Was I so involved in my notes? Motherfucker, you do that no. all the same time. See, he was the straight man, but he was gay. Yeah, I missed that. I missed that motherfucking joke. <laughs> just right over your head. <laughs> it, was, it was a seven forty-seven. It was so far over my head, and then I crashed. So I don't. No, but but no, but what you said was funny. <laughs> See, it's because we're like the pythons, even when we're not meant to. <laughs> la la la. <laughs> anyway, in, in, anyway, moving on. Damn it. And Jones, uh, Jody actually had just said, like, woman, one of the quotes from one of the pythons was, Jones was great with aggressively noisy, frumpy women. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, Gilliam was uh, anything that involved heavy makeup. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And you you mentioned the night that hit people with the chicken? Yep. That was Gilliam. He would get bored when they're filming because he'd done his animations and just put on whatever outfit was around that they needed. And that was, it was like the, it was like Chapman's Colonel that would, you know, the skit's gotten too silly, you know, or whatever. And if somebody said something really stupid, here comes the knight with the, with the plucked chicken and just smack him over the head. <laughs> this, this sketch has gone entirely too long. It's become entirely silly. Let's, let's do something fun and outdoorsy. <laughs> Or, or the night I loved the night, like the night I found as a younger person to be the most hilarious thing because all of a sudden here comes a night with the yeah. chicken. <laughs> and I still love it as an adult. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's great. And John was really good at shouting because he's a, actually a really nice person. So mm-hmm. being mean made him upset, which would come through in the character. <laughs> uh, and they did, uh, Eric was, was that smarmy, smooth type of thing. And Palin did cheerful Charlie characters quite well. Uh, yep. Uh, they, they'd make sure the cast and everyone got equal time because they, they really they wanted to cast it as well as possible. And if you wrote mm-hmm. the sketch, you might have got first dibs. Yeah. But they wanted the acting to be equal time because they didn't care about that. They were writers who acted yeah. their stuff. They, they fought over whose writing got on screen. They didn't care. They wanted everybody to be equal to be seen, though. Yeah, and we we talked about this a little bit um, texting back and forth that Gilliam, how far into the first series did they go before Gilliam was actually listed with the pythons instead of just as the animator? Uh, Five, I think, I think it was episode six. Yeah. Where they used the weird thing. Cause one of the sketches had a Jewish movie producer. Yes. Um, name then it was Berg. So then they put everybody's name at the end with, with Berg, Michael C. Palenberg and yeah. Harry J. Jonesberg. And, and they, they, that was the first time, Terry Gilliam got his. Now, I, I, they still listed him separately as animator. <laughs> yeah. So it was like his name was in the credits twice at that point. But, but yeah, it was, like, it was like the first five episodes, he's just listed as the animator. Yeah. Because he's not getting any screen time. And, which I think is why they wanted him to do those extra things, because even mm-hmm. the other five wanted him to be an equal member. Yeah, yeah. I did, it just when I, when I sat down and watched the first episode, I went – wow they've only got him listed as the animator you know and then so i kept watching to see when he would get an actual billing as one of the pythons so just funny because even as an animator and then mm-hmm. in those first five he's listed after the wardrobe person yes. even, which <laughs> yeah. is his wife really that is who he ended up marrying oh that's and, the, and they're still married to this day that's that's funny and awesome <laughs> yep. at the same time <laughs> So I doubt he cared that he was after her there. I think he just wanted to be a full member. Yeah. Which, you know, he, he 
should have been because he was. Yeah, exactly. That's what I have on, on casting. Okay. Uh, my next bit's uh, probably kind of actually fairly easy because uh, other semi-current shows, I'd already mm-hmm. mentioned Spike Mulligan's Q5 had just started. Mm-hmm. That did enable them to go further. I mentioned Beyond the Fringe and David Frost, but in 62, David Frost was the first person to make fun of the Queen and the Prime Minister on TV. <laughs> so that allowed Python to do things. Yes. And the comedic troupe Beyond the Fringe, which had Dudley Moore and Alan Bennett, a skit with them, uh, made fun of the Church of England. Ah. <laughs> you know, it was only in the 60s where you could even do that and not be in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, because if you tried that in the 50s, you would have, yeah. <laughs> uh, they point out the difference with Saturday Night Live from the Python end. They didn't really have any females in the main cast, so they didn't have to worry about that. And, and, and I've got notes on Carol Cleveland in a second. Yeah. And they also said that we did business hours. We would actually do sober writing from 9 to 5, whereas Saturday Night Live had to worry about writing for females. And when they got to know them later, that they were wrote at night and were high as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and then with no rewrites and idol hosted the show a few times so he was involved yes. and palin was in there once or twice too i think well there there was i i know in the first four seasons of saturday night live i know there was one episode where several of the pythons were on there because they did the dead parrot skit because I, yeah. I know pa- palin and cleese were on there at the same and i think don't think it was all six of them but it was at least like palin and cleese and idol because I know Idol was on there a number – yeah, like you said, he was on there a number of times. There was one episode where Idol was on Saturday Night Live, and he had George Harrison come on as a musical guest. Oh, we'll talk about how close friends they are sometime. Yeah. They were really close. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. But Lauren Michaels did um, – he, he said uh, uh, Flying Circus had a huge impact on – or an influence on uh, Saturday Night Live. I, I remember some of the people that were in that the first couple of years. I forget exactly which – Saturday Night Live alum said this. I'm mm-hmm. guessing Aykroyd, because mm-hmm. that's coming ahead. But it could have been any of those. But they were pissed off about Python only because Python not being filmed live in front of an audience. Well, Python was filmed live for some things, but then they right. filmed some things and they got to put it together. Yeah, the SNLs live, and they were upset because Python didn't have to do the fucking punchlines. <laughs> <That's>, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then sometimes SNL skits would fall flat at the punchline. <laughs> A lot of times they did. I mean, I, I've got the first four seasons of SNL on DVD, and yeah, a lot of times, it, as great as that first cast was, <laughs> there there are a lot of dud sketches. Actually, the first season is not my favorite. It's got some good ones, but I think the, it took them a year or two to really get in. Yeah, the first the first season they were trying to find themselves, yep. yeah. figure out what they're gonna do with the Muppets yeah. and the music. Uh, and the first. The first episode is the most bizarre Saturday Night Live thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's messed up. Because it's, it's nothing like what you're used to with Saturday Night Live. And, and I'll be honest, Bill Murray above all for me. So when oh, yeah. he came in in the second season, you know. Yeah, definitely. But any, anyway. <laughs> Ooh, you want to know my next little next? Sure. <clears throat> Would you like to know, now that I've opened up the salted caramel stout. <laughs> Ooh. Eric Where's that from? Triton Brewing. Oh man! Oh, it went real. It went really well with my s'mores yesterday too. <laughs> oh, salted caramel, man! It, that sounds awesome. They do dessert stouts every year in the winter, and and they just usually still have some like towards the spring, especially now because they can only do carry out. But they have salted caramel stout. They have 
chocolate something stout. They have a tiramisu stout that is fucking Ooh. phenomenal. Nice. Yeah. Any, 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 anyway, sorry. Anyway, yeah. My, my, pythons. my next quote is actually Eric Idle and how in his autobiography, he doesn't go into the Python years as much because he says there are hours of documentaries out there. Yeah. He said, as far as how hard they worked, George Harrison once said to me, <laughs> <laughs> if we'd known we were going to be the Beatles, we would have tried harder. And I think the same could be said of Monty Python. <laughs> I can see it. Yeah. I know they talk about the Hamburg days for the Beatles and Python talked about they had their 10,000 hours in. Yeah. And they still wish they would have worked harder, knowing who they yeah. ended up being. All right. I, I'm ready to move on to the next Oh, yeah. Yeah, section. go ahead. So my next section is entitled Ian McNaughton. Okay. Because he's a director. I probably won't talk much about him further on unless Jody has things on him. Only the – was he the director from the first episode? Because I know there was another – No. Somebody uh, – okay. Uh, John Howard Davies actually directed the first few shows because Ian was on vacation. And okay. during those first few – even when he came back, they both did things like one did the studio and one did the on-site filming yeah. type of thing for a while. So, yeah, John Howard Davies also directed some. Okay. Yeah, because that's, that's what I was I was reading, that they, they both directed some of the early episodes. And then at some point, and then at some point, McNaughton became the sole director and one of the producers. Yeah. And then and that was, I think, their plan, but because he couldn't be there for the first few. Okay. Uh, John Howard Davies, which is actually good because John Howard Davies is the one who cast Carol Cleveland in that marriage counselor sketch. Yes. So it's good that he was there. Yeah. And my little note on that just says the Pythons could play women of all kinds, but they could not, they could play a sexy girl who was supposed to be funny, but they couldn't play a funny girl who's supposed to be sexy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The pepper pots, not a big deal. The, the marriage counselor sex with, with Audrey. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Carol Cleveland. Yes. But Actually, that's, 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 that's my one sketch from the second episode is the marriage counselor. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? Carol Cleveland. I'm going to go and mention these. Okay. And then we'll go back to Ian because I only okay. have a few things or two. So okay. Carol was only supposed to be in the first five episodes. Uh huh. But Pythons loved her so much. They put their big Python foot down. <laughs> According to Gillian, I, I get that <laughs> reference. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she stayed. They insisted she stayed. Uh, Gilliam said that she would float right through it. There were other girls, but they never got it right. Palin said she would play the dumb blonde, but she was no dumb blonde. Right. And the reason why she only had a contract, small episode contract to begin with, was because Ian wanted bits of toddy around. Because he wanted to sleep with as many of the female actresses <laughs> as possible. And uh -huh. the ones are like, no, no, we, we want Carol. You want to know my cool thing about Ian McNaughton, though? Sure. Well, I mean, I've got a few here. So it would be things instead of thing. Things, yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're things. Uh, okay. One's a quote from Chapman, who said, Ian McNaughton wanted the first series of Python to be filmed in Bradford in Yorkshire because of a woman there that he was seeing. <laughs> you're, you're seeing where Ian yes brain. But Ian has a perfect continuum thing that we're big on for continuum and context. Okay. Question was, Python would not have been what it was had it not been for the Goon Show or the Q series, the, the Spike Q show. McNaughton mm -hmm. says precisely, but would the Goon Show have been what it was were it not for the Marx Brothers? And then would the Marx Brothers have been the way they were, but not for burlesque? And would burlesque have been the way it was, were not for music halls? And so on, and it's got a wonderful progression, I think. <laughs> yeah. So... 
There, suck it, continuum, fuckers. <laughs> so Ian had worked on Spike's Q5, and the Pythons asked him to direct, and uh, Idol said he seemed loony enough and didn't get in the way, and which is true. He kind of did the direction. He didn't try to tell the Pythons what to do. Yeah. Uh, he is anti-authoritarianist, so they appreciated well, that. that. <laughs> Say that fits in. Yep. Uh, Gilliam, on Ian, it's a paraphrase, but said Ian would let things go. You get pushed around, but would trot and keep up and keep going, and it would have it would not have gotten done without him. Yeah. Didn't get involved with scripts, but he's good with keeping things on budget for the most part. Mm -hmm. Suggested filming locations, but by the second season, he understood what they wanted and everything became natural. Nice. Although he was a huge drinker and would sometimes miss afternoon filming. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the Pythons I, would film it themselves. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, I imagine at that point, Jones or Gilliam steps in as director. That's, I think mostly at that point, Jones, because of the things, but I think they both took a big interest at that point. Uh-huh. But yeah, um, John Howard Davies, we mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, did the first few, but he was more old school. So, of course, Cleese liked him better. Mm -hmm. uh, but they would work together well uh, doing, doing the various things. Nice. And now I've got a few broadcast notes. Began recording first season, August 1969. Mm-hmm. For the most part, um, oh, yeah, August, no, no, good. Uh, well, according to the, the, the notes I got <laughs> off of Wikipedia, um, the sex and violence episode was recorded August 30th, oh, see, there Perfect. I didn't have the date. Yeah. Thanks. Sweet. Episode two aired 12 October 1969, recorded 30 August. Okay. But they're giving a date. So what they did was that they would go around and because they had everything sketched out, at least the first half, and like they'd have almost the whole series sketched out almost the entire first half before they even started anything and almost all of it. And if they were filming something in Scotland, they would film as much as they could. Uh, for example, they did a neurals saga in Scotland. Okay. And then they're, while they're there, they're like, why not film spot the loony here? Okay. So they did all the filming first and then they yeah. would have a 90 minute studio thing for the uh. studio. So if it says film today, that would have been that would have been the studio day. That studio day where they had ninety minutes to do their thing. Okay. So. Yeah, because because I guess episode one, which was Wither Canada, actually was recorded a week after the <laughs> episode two. <laughs> yep. It first broadcast October fifth with their second recorded show, Wither Canada. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look at that notes. <laughs> uh, they did almost no ad libbing for the most part. They did do so like in the studio where they had that 90 minute slot, no ad libbing because yeah. they, they were stressed about getting everything done. Mm -hmm. But when they do the filming things, there's almost no ad libbing, but they do have a few such as the little sketch where Palin goes to Cleese's police officer and talks about his wallet being stolen and everything. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and <laughs> oh, the, we, the end of it, the end that we'll get to in a little bit, that was ad lib. <laughs> But they kept it for later stuff, too. <laughs> but they that kept was, it. Yeah. It was great. That was funny. <laughs> if you're not sure what we're talking about, watch the series or probably be the third episode of this arc. <laughs> yep. Uh, they, they would rehearse. I mean, they, they were business. They, yeah. they would write 9 to 5. They rehearsed 9 to 5. You know, Acton Workingmen's Club, like a shabby old place, the Irish pub, the old soap club. And they ended up at a BBC place to keep Ian more sober, not at a pub. Yeah. <laughs> and they had a large room where they could play football, soccer, you know, when they had a chance. And yeah. They wanted everything to look great. And this goes with Holy Grail we'll talk about again. They wanted to make it look like the thing. Yeah. Because when something looks like the thing, when you parody, parody, <laughs> parody, 
when you parody it. I've got the word parodies written and I'm trying to make it singular. It's just not coming through. <laughs> parodies are best when they also look like the thing. <laughs> yes. And and the Terry's would actually harangue Ian about the camera location and angles and everything. <laughs> and and they just thought satire worked better against the background of realism. Well, it, it does. Which if you remember, harkens back to our Tolkien on fairy stories episodes where Tolkien mentions those types of stories. If you don't break that wall, if you have a sense of realism, even in a world of magic, you have to keep that basis down. It yeah. makes it better. Yes. It has to be logical within itself. I don't remember what the exact terminology was, but yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just remember talking about it. I didn't go back and listen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the BBC, do you know they tried to shut him down after four or five episodes? I did not. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. But by then, they'd already had a cult following, so the uh -huh. BBC shouldn't, shouldn't, couldn't really shut them down without people complaining. So what they did was they allowed different regions to decide if it would be aired or not, mm -hmm. which is still bullshit, you know. But well, well. oh yeah. And otherwise, I've got one more note. Do you know where the actual foot is? The stomping foot that goes. Pfft. Um, I I just saw this the other day, but I do not remember the name of the painting. But yeah, it, I've, I've seen the painting. It is circa 1545 from Agnolio Bronzino's Venus, Cupid, Folly, and Time. It's the, yes. few, it's the foot of Cupid down there at the bottom. Yep. That's, that's where they took it from. Tis. Tis indeed. <laughs> and that's what I have until we talk about specific episodes and sketches. Okay. That sounds good to me. Should we, should we stop here and do a third episode? Yes. Yes, we should. And Good. probably a fourth. Because <laughs> I don't know that we'll get through all 13 episodes in one episode. There's always that chance. But you know what? This, I, I forgot to mention in the first episode, is the year of the 50th anniversary. We, we did that special last year in October real quick to uh -huh. celebrate the 50th anniversary. So this whole year is the year of 50 for Monty Bygone. You, you know, I was thinking we had already done an episode on them, but... <laughs> Yeah, remember. That was the day where I call, I texted you. I'm like, dude, today is literally the 50th anniversary. We got to do something. And, and we recorded and edited and put it out that day. Yeah, we did. That's probably why I don't remember it because we blazed through it so fast. We did. It was more like, hey, how'd we discover? What's the favorite bits? All right, let's go. I was going to say, I thought, yeah, because I remember, because I remember I remember talking about how I was introduced and, and you, we talked about favorite bits and I was like, I'm not as familiar with the, the TV show, but <laughs> yep. Cause I, I now have watched life of Brian a couple of times since then, but at that point it had been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on that note, I'm James. <laughs> I'm, I'm Jody. <laughs> Talk to you later. Bye. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. Well, the Juicy Bunny is a 6.2, but the Stout of the Devil is a 7.8. It wasn't 6.66. <laughs> yeah, I know. But have I ever told you my Schwarzenegger testicle thing? No. So actually, I got this from our buddy Patrick, who I think we've mentioned a few times, once or yeah. twice. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like Jody was saying, people would ask him how he gets so big. Mm -hmm. And he started telling people that it was because he ate bull testicles. <laughs> but just before he started telling people this, he went out and bought ownership and stock and stuff of a bunch of companies that sold bull testicles. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
no, no, no more beer for me. <laughs> Brad, that's okay. I'll drink for you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you don't know exactly what I'm talking about. That's okay. No, I don't. <laughs> Which is why I said okay. <laughs> Follow the gourd! <laughs> Tolkien. Tolkien? Okay, you pronounced it right. I know. <laughs> you did that on purpose, you bastard. <laughs> no, 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 yes. <laughs>